Father, we thank you for your word and we pray that we might receive that which you have as gift for us this evening. That we might enter into your love, your flow of recreative work as co-workers with you and those who are blessed to be part of your world. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, here's an old one for you. Who can remember the rest of this slogan? A Mars a day helps you... There you are. Work, rest and play. You are very quick. That was a very significant thing for me because my mum believed it totally. And when I was growing up, she gave me a Mars bar every single day. <laughs> yes, Ray. Did she believe in it, Chad? The Guinness <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, don't. Well, that's, that was another matter, but I think what uh, the result was that she didn't quite anticipate was that I was continually at the dentist and now I have got lots of teeth missing in the back of my mouth. It didn't do my um, body very much good and uh, now have diabetes. But anyway, the fact is that that slogan was one that stuck in my memory and obviously many of you here as well. And I want to use those three words as three uh, legs of the stool, as it were, to build what I'm going to be reflecting on this evening with you. Because working, resting and playing can be seen as uh, integral parts of what it means to be a person who is in relationship with God's creation. And that is what we are. We are people created to be in relationship with the God of creation and the creation in which we live. So let's think first of all about work. In Genesis chapter 1, the book of beginnings, the writer paints this picture of a created order as gift. Gift for humanity. And God speaks words that enable us to know that his intention for us was to rule over it, to have dominion over it and to be those who are stewards of it. That word rule, or have dominion, was never meant to be a, you are in control, you can do whatever you like, it's over to you guys, and just subdue it. Do use it for whatever you want. That was never the intention, it never is the intention in the Hebrew. Rather, the word rule has more of a connotation of being like an umpire, or like a referee, somebody who would make sure that things happen in the world in a way that's fair and just, and that enables the game, as it were, to be played out in a way that allows everybody to play a part and to be treated justly. In Genesis chapter 2, Verse 15, we read of how the Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. 
This is the vocation right from the earliest days of humanity to work and to take care of that which God has given to us as gift. So God doesn't abandon the world that he's created but rather he makes us stewards of it and as Paul talks about being co-workers with God in the world. What an incredible thing that is. We are co-worker, working alongside, working in partnership with the God of all the earth. And it's interesting when we think of the things that we do to work with God and his creation, such as, as gardening. It's incredibly satisfying. I think it, generally speaking, would you say that gardening is I mean, hard work, but it's very satisfying. I was just passing this morning, and Anne, you don't mind me saying, was out. Uh, it wasn't, you weren't in your nighty, because you had got up and got dressed, and you were just watering the flowers in the garden. And we had a conversation as I was just going up to uh, the junior school for the morning service. And I was saying that um, you're doing exactly what I'm going to be thinking about this evening, what we're about. Working with God to enable those flowers to be at their best, so that they can be in their glory, can reveal something of God. So working with God, taking care of creation, is what we as human beings are called and given the invitation to do by God. But of course the increasing pressures on our perception of our world take us away from that sort of perspective. And Ruth Valerio, who uh, has actually preached here at Christ Church a few years ago, she's a tremendous theologian, uh, an environmentalist, an author, and works with Tear Fund and uh, Al Rosha. She's written an article recently and, and she says this, the consumer culture we are in teaches us to see the planet as simply the environment. Something akin to a stage on which we, the important actors, play out and make our lives. We have been taught to see the world simply as a resource for us to use however we like for our own benefit. If you'd agree with that, but the root of that, of course, comes back to the third chapter of Genesis, where humanity is described as falling into the great trap, the, the sin that puts I at the centre, S-I-N, it's the great I, the big me, at the centre of everything. And we have now reached a terrifying point in the history of our civilization. The Daily Telegraph recently carried an article that was uh, entitled The Last Ice Area Breaking Up. Let me read this to you. It's about the the change in climate having an effect on the Arctic and the polar bears there in particular. You know this, the sort of scenario that happens. 
But how worried can we be when we read these things? What effect does it have on us? The oldest and thickest sea ice in the Arctic has started to break up, reports the Daily Telegraph. The stretch off the north coast of Greenland was until recently known as the last ice area because it was expected to be the last to remain frozen. But this year, in a phenomenon never previously recorded, the ice has broken up twice owing to warm winds and heat waves in northern hemisphere and has been pushed further from the coast than at any time since satellite records began in the 1970s. The discovery may mean that scientists have to alter their predictions about which parts of the Arctic will, be, will best withstand global warming. In the meantime, there are fears about the consequences of the melting for polar bears and other Arctic mammals. Professor Peter Wadhams, the University of Cambridge's Polar Ocean Physics Group said, the north coast of Greenland, with its very steep cliffs, is a, a denning area where they live for polar bears. They dig holes in the snow and come out in the spring and go hunting. But if the pack ice has moved offshore, they come out of hibernation and are left without an area to hunt. Well, it begs the question, you know, we've heard these stories for years and years and years. And yes, there are being steps taken to make some difference to the rate of progress in some parts of the world. But I wonder whether actions are really the most important thing. Mark Buchanan, in his book, The Rest of God, highlights the fact that attitudes are perhaps the most important Thing that need to change that leads to actions, attitudes rather than actions. And his, in his book, uh, The Rest of God, which we, some of you will remember, we looked at as a series uh, in Lent 2015. And this book speaks of some very powerful concepts about the significance of the Sabbath. And so having looked at work for a moment, we're now looking at the significance of rest, the rest of God. Because he says in this book that to transform perspective on work, we need to have a renewed perspective on rest, the two go together. And of course he comes back to the great, one of the great commandments, one of the Ten Commandments, the centrality of the Sabbath. Now the centrality of the Sabbath is predicated on the words in Genesis 2 where Jesus, uh, God is described as resting from all his work on the Sabbath, on the seventh day. And that became a pattern for the Jewish faith, the Jewish people, to recognise how the Sabbath becomes absolutely key to how God's people were to live. Exodus 20, verse 8, the fourth commandment, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. And it makes it very clear that nobody is to do any work at all. No work, but yes to God. No to work, yes to God. That's the Sabbath. 
Because the Sabbath, if it is to be holy, is to be a day, a time, a season, an attitude that puts God at the very centre of everything and recognises his invitation that hears his words, the words of Jesus. Come to me and I will give you rest. And if the Sabbath is to be the focus of our week, it is a day for worship, for resting in the love of God and letting him rewrite a perspective of life, a perspective that covers our work, our problems, our challenges, and he will give us a right view of work as we come back to that place of rest. To learn to work from rest rather than resting from work. The Sabbath is the first day of the week. It's the time when we engage with God more than any other time. And out of that perspective, out of that life, out of that being filled with God's love, we can go out into the world and do the work that he gives us, whatever that may be. And we've heard time and again of the physical benefits of rest and of the benefits to mental health as we take note of the patterns that God has given for humanity. Key factors in this war against stress are good sleep and regular breaks, regular rest, ideally just a, a nap for about 20 minutes in the middle of the day, something like that gives people a whole new perspective, a whole new energy. I try to practice, I'm very blessed to be a vicar, that after lunch I don't have to go back into the workplace, as it were, if I'm a teacher or if I'm a lawyer or whatever I was doing, or a workman on the building site here, uh, I can have 20 minutes after lunch and uh, just go and lie on the bed and I can just go off straight away and wake up usually after about 20 minutes and come back and I'm fresh. I'm no good to anybody in the evening uh, if I haven't had a rest. And if you've been at a PCC meeting and you've known I'm dropping off to sleep, it was because I haven't had a rest that, that lunchtime. I won't tell anybody else, even though this is being recorded. <laughs> <laughs> but the centrality of rest is absolutely crucial for health. It's almost like... Um, We've been made like that. Mm. So, work, rest, and then play. Recreation, or recreation. I wonder what does that for you? What recreates you, gives you rest? I'm not talking about sleep, uh, I'm, I'm talking uh, about play. Play is something that enables us to be recreated. For me, walking in the mountains in Wales is just the most wonderful way of playing. It recharges everything in me, brings me alive, animates my whole being. For Roger, I know you love playing the organ and doing the stuff that enables music to carry your spirit. Many others do the same. Hilary mentioned that gift of music in her thanksgiving for prayers. I met somebody this week who couldn't meet me on Tuesday because they were going to play chess. Great. Just important that he kept that 
date in his diary, to go out and play chess. So easily, our playtime can get stolen from us by the what might be more useful things to do. What is play then? Well, coming back to Mark Buchanan's book, he reckons that play is the opposite of what is useful. Things that have to be done. And this goes against our utilitarian culture. Let me quote a little bit from his book, The Rest of God. It's very interesting what he says. He says, there are many things Eating ice cream, diving off cliffs, sleeping in Saturday mornings, learning bird calls, watching movies, that can't be shoehorned into a utilitarian scheme, try as you might. We do some things just for the simple sake of doing them. There's no particular usefulness connected with them. They don't need to be done. Nobody insists. And the world's left unchanged by our doing them or not. This is play. They add to the nothing to the gross national product. They enhance our intellect, not one bit. They don't make us worse or better neighbours. They don't improve our figures, hone our skills, or increase our red blood cell counts. Or if they do, it's sheer accident. Not the thing we set out to accomplish. Accomplishment is the least of their concerns. But they just might make us feel more alive, more ourselves, and that's use enough. Indeed, many other uses might follow after this, but I want to make something very clear. Though play benefits us, the minute we do it for its benefit, is the minute it ceases to be play. <laughs> play is subversive, really. It subverts business as usual. It subverts necessity. It subverts utility. It subverts the chronos-driven, taskmaster-supervised, legalism-steeped activities that mark out most of our lives, that make us oh so useful but bland and sullen in our usefulness. The Sabbath is for play. Something to ponder as we go into this coming week. So, work, rest and play. Work a gift that is received. Rest, a perspective that is restored. Play, a necessity to be recreated. We praise God with all our hearts, who creates and recreates by his Spirit, who still hovers over the whole of this earth and brings us life in its fullness. Amen. Thank you.